Today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 32. And as we go through these two chapters, there's they're both chapters that Jeremiah wrote while he was locked up. So he was in prison uh, at this time. And there's a lot that we're going to cover. Uh, I don't know if we have those charts yet or not, do we? Um, yeah, we do. Wow, Henry, you're amazing, man. That's cool, cool. So just a, a couple of things to think about going into the chapter, okay? So um, points of interest, uh, we're going to see uh, the prison of Jeremiah. We're going to see, again, like he's locked up because of the fact that he's telling the king the truth. He's telling the people the truth, and they don't want to hear it, that judgment's coming. So they put him in prison. And we're going to see the prophecies of Jeremiah, and we're going to see, as we get to the next screen, the fact that God is going to prophesy that they're going to get judged, uh, and then also God's going to prophesy that there's going to be a restoration. It's kind of cool. So you keep your ears open for that. The purchase of Jeremiah. So even though he's in prison, and even though the Babylonians have already surrounded the city, and they're going to have, imagine if someone surrounded the city of Almani, let's just say, you know, 200,000 soldiers from China or wherever, you know, and they surrounded the city of Almani for two and a half years. That's how long they surrounded Jerusalem. They wouldn't let anybody in. They wouldn't let anybody out. Eventually, you run out of food. Remember what happened when COVID? People went and they bought toilet paper and they bought different things, you know, because they thought, oh, we're going to run out of, of, of items. This is what happened to them. And so, during that time, the Lord told Jeremiah that he was going to be offered some land, Anathoth, outside of Jerusalem. And we're going to see that he bought that property, even though it didn't make any sense. Because, you know, why would you buy property that is already conquered by the Babylonians? But that was by faith, because eventually God would restore them. And so the prison of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah, we'll explain it more, the purchase of Jeremiah and the prayer of Jeremiah. And sometimes he goes, you guys, at the end of the day, you don't have because you don't ask. That's what James chapter four, verse two. And so God says, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. And we're going to see that's in, you know, if you pray, there's going to be like this revelation. God will show you things that you would have never known. But there's also going to be salvation that God will, you'll be able to experience things. And it all happens just in a devoted prayer life. And so I think we have another uh, couple of outlines here. Like I said earlier, the prophecies of Jeremiah. So he, he spends a lot of time in his book talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and that's the calamity. Uh, and then he's going to see, we guys are going to see it tonight. A lot of the prophecies is in reference to the restoration of Jerusalem, which would also include Israel. And so that's a time of prosperity. And so the cool thing about that is that even though uh, Judah was so bad, even though Jerusalem was so bad that, you know, God had to judge them, it, he didn't let go of them. He didn't forsake them. They would eventually you know, come back and be blessed. And, and it's a lesson there for us too, even though we fail, man, we fail the Lord. He loves you. You know, you're his son, you're his daughter. He will discipline you, but he won't forsake you. And he's going to bring you back. And it's a really cool thing. My prayer, even if you're out there today and maybe you're, uh, you know, out, you know, you're being disciplined, you kind of feel like you're distant from God, you're in Babylon, wherever it might be, that God would bring you back to him today because um, we don't want you guys just to go to church, right? Come to church. We want you guys to come to Jesus, right? And so there's one more. I think there might be one more outline after that, if I'm not mistaken. And when it comes to the restoration of Jerusalem and, and Israel, 
Just remember this. We're going to talk a lot about the restoration to the land. And that's a cool thing. We even see Israel in the land today. But more important than that is the restoration to the Lord. So what good is it to have land if you don't have the Lord, right? And so eventually Israel will believe in their Messiah. So we're going to see it's not just back then in those days when they were delivered from Babylon. It's also future after you know the tribulation period. And we're going to see they're restored to the land, restored to the Lord. And the restoration to the lead is in reference to how Israel will be like the most prominent nation. We're all going to be there, but Israel is where the Lord Jesus Christ will rule uh, uh, from Jerusalem. Okay, so let's go ahead and read Jeremiah 32. And we read in verse 1, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is the, the year 587 BC. And so this is a year before they would be conquered. And so the word of the Lord, it says right here, came to Jeremiah. It says, For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Any of you guys here ever you know, spent time on, on vacation in, in jail? Any of you guys here? You wouldn't raise your hand, huh? If you have, I would like to talk to you. Um, you know, maybe you can share with people. I mean, yeah, maybe you might have had some nice times you're working out or something. I don't know. Um, but you could talk to anybody who's been in jail. And, and they would tell you, man, I don't want to be here. And some places are worse. Imagine being in somewhere like solitary confinement, you know, or imagine, you know, if they're after you or something like, you know, crazy things that go on in jail. Um, I, I mean, it, this is where Jeremiah was. He was in prison. It was not a hotel. It, it, was, a, it was a dungeon. The great prophet Jeremiah in a bad place. And I was thinking about this, you know, some of you guys, you know, maybe you'll go to jail one day for preaching the gospel. Who knows if things change, you know, the way that they continue to change. Maybe one day you're preaching and you're in jail, but you know, more than likely, most of you guys probably won't end up in jail, but there, sometimes you feel like you're in jail. You, you, maybe today you feel like you're, you know, in this place where you're stuck and you can't get out of and you've been that way, and you're a Christian trying to do the right thing. You know, I pray that you would be encouraged as we're reading from Jeremiah, reading from Paul, while well, he's in prison. You can still have joy, and the Lord, you watch, man. As you follow him, he's going to set you free. But again, verse 2, let me read it again. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. And so this was a siege, just in case you're interested. The interesting thing about this is that we can actually have the dates. January 15th, 588 BC. January 15th, 588 BC. That's when it started and it lasted all the way to July 18th, 586 BC. So somewhere around two and a half years. Now the whole time Jeremiah is telling them, hey, this discipline, this discipline, this trancaso, it's from the Lord. And you need to surrender to it. But for some reason, they were not yielding themselves to God's discipline. 
You know, if I was to tell you, hey, you know, God is, is taking you through this because he's disciplining you and you might not like it, you might resist it, you might even get all prideful and say, I don't need to be spanked, I'm, I don't need to change. Maybe you do need to change. And maybe you need to yield to that discipline that God, they wouldn't yield to it. And so what ended up happening, Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. Maybe he was thinking about what had happened earlier in you know, the history of Israel when Jerusalem was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And Hezekiah went up to the temple and he prayed. And so the Lord sent a word back to him from Isaiah. It says, because you prayed, God sent one angel and he killed 185,000 Assyrians. So maybe Zedekiah is thinking, well, the same thing will happen to us. You know, we can just wait this out. But the difference between Zedekiah and Hezekiah is huge. Hezekiah was a godly man. Hezekiah had this faith. He had this purity. He had this integrity. Therefore, his prayers were powerful. Much, much different than someone like Zedekiah, who was rebelling against God in every way, He was rebelling against the word of God. Jeremiah's message was, you got to yield to the discipline. Isaiah's message wasn't like that. And so he was not yielding to the word. He was a man of idolatry. He thought, well, Babylon's getting a little weak. I'm sure we can rebel against them when the Babylonians were the one that, you know, they had made him king. And he's thinking that. And unfortunately, we're going to see as they're there two and a half years, you know, they're eating their kids. They're eating their waste. They had, there's no food. This is what their king did to them. And so uh, we read in verse 3, this is why Jeremiah was shut up. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And basically he was, you know, he says, the reason I'm in prison It's because I told Judah, you can't defeat the Babylonians. You're going to be conquered by them. And I told that king, you are going to be taken captive to Babylon as well. And so because Jeremiah said that, they put him in prison. Now this king right here, it's crazy what ended up happening. I wanted you guys to go to 2 Kings chapter 25. Look what ends up happening to this guy even though he resists it. In 2 Kings chapter 25, it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by way of the plain, 
But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they told the king, brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Check it out. This is what happens. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. Homeboy should have listened to the word of God. But he was just filled with his pride. He's, I'm the king. Who are you to talk to me? Well, just to let you know, he's the prophet. He's Jeremiah. But he wouldn't listen. So imagine how horrible it would be. The last thing you saw before they took out your eyes was your sons getting slaughtered. Why? Because you would not change. And so it's a heavy message. It, it makes me want to be pure. It makes me want to listen to the Lord when he tries to set me straight. You know, say, oh, we don't like what you're saying, Jeremiah. Throw him in prison. When in all reality, he's the one telling him the truth, but you just don't like what he's saying. And so for us, we learn these lessons back in, in Jeremiah. And this is why he's in prison. But anyways, while he's in prison, you know, it's so cool. The Lord speaks to him in Jeremiah 32 and verse 6. It says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, By my field, which is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So, you know, it's kind of cool. We need more of the gifts of the Spirit. I just need to say that real quick. We need to listen to the words of knowledge, you know, and sometimes it's discernment or maybe even a prophecy. You guys, we need to be more open to the Holy Spirit. Did you guys know that if you listen, the Holy Spirit will speak to you? I think sometimes, not to get weird or anything, but we do need to listen more. So Jeremiah is there in prison and he hears the word of the Lord and the Lord says, hey, your cousin. You know, the, the one that you guys used to play with and all that kind of, yeah, that guy, he's coming, the knuckleheading. He's going to come and he's going to offer his field for you to buy it. And so Jeremiah gets the word, but then, you know, he, okay, this is the word that he gets. And then it, sure enough, verse eight, then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, and the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Just like Jeremiah had, had heard, the, the words that came to him. It came, so it says right here, Then Jeremiah knew. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver, which is not a lot of money, but we don't know how big the property was. He says, and I signed the deed and sealed it, took the witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neraiah, the son of Maasiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. 
And then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And so we don't know why Hanamel wanted to sell the property. Um, most commentators say it's because he needed the money, because you know, if you know, you're going to buy uh, uh, some food, even a little dropling from a dove would be expensive, you know, like caviar type of thing. And so he needed the money. Uh, so he comes to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had the right to buy it. Now, that you guys knew this, right? That in those days, you know, you had property. It was supposed to stay in the family. That was God's way of trying to keep equality in society. You know, the reason why some people are rich nowadays and some people are poor is because they're rich people. They got all the property. But imagine if you're, remember when they divided the property, when Israel came into the land, all the different tribes, all the different families, they got the property. If it stayed in your family, then you pass it on to your kids. That way there's an equality there. And so that's the right of the kinsman redeemer. Jeremiah was a cousin to Hanamel. But but why would you buy the property uh, when the Babylonians have already conquered that. Now, Anathoth was just three miles outside of Jerusalem. The, the soldiers were right there in the middle of that place, right? And, and so why would you buy it? And the reason is because Jeremiah knew that even though they were going to get conquered, they were going to return. And he's thinking about keeping this property in his family. Now, when you look at this right here, it's interesting how it all goes down. And you know, Jeremiah buys it. He seals it, which would mean like he would uh, tie it up. He would put his uh, uh, wax seal there, that the Jeremiah seal. And then there was one that was sealed and one that wasn't. They put him in these clay uh, vessels. And it says because they would have to be there for a long time. Uh, and, and so, yeah, at least 50 years, uh, 50 some years because the 70 years actually started when they left in 605 BC. And so, you know, it would have to be verified much, much later. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's interesting the, the you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in, in jar clays just like this. And so it's interesting to me, Jeremiah says, you're going to get disciplined, you're going to get judged, but you're going to return. He had that understanding of what was happening. He had that understanding of what was going on. Did you know that you can maybe in one sense have that, you know, too? Uh, one of the things is prophecy. You know, we can know the Bible. We can know the end, uh, you know, certain things about it that are clearly revealed in the Bible. But one of the things the Lord has definitely been showing to me is that you can know secrets. God can reveal things to you. You know, and it's so cool. Then you can live your life by faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith, right? So how did uh, Chuck Smith know to take those steps of faith? It's not in the Bible, go to Costa Mesa. It's not in the Bible. How did he know that that was a step of faith that he was supposed to take? How did he know that he was supposed to have Greg Laurie do this evangelistic crusade there. And some might say, well, yes, because he saw what God was doing. No, we're talking about a ton of money that's going to be invested in this. And, and we're, we're talking about a man 
who had a personal relationship with God. You know, I think Jerry, they're getting ready to go to New York and we're going to have a a little go away thing for them. Maybe it'll be a big one. I'm not sure, but it's going to be in a couple of Sundays from now. And I've gotten to know Jerry over the years. He was in the class. I know he's following the Lord. Because someone I say, well, why is he going to New York? Because God told him to. Well, how does God tell you to do things when you have a personal relationship with him? That's how. That's how you can take steps of faith. And so this is, in, it's, I know it's a little different here, but Jeremiah knew, the Lord revealed to him that Jerusalem is going to get judged. And God revealed to him that 70 years later, they would return. And he believed it with all his heart. He was even willing to invest the money into it. I remember when we had the opportunity to get this location right here, uh, I remember, you know, because think about it, a church being in a strip mall. Is that weird to you guys? And some people, they'll look and they're like, there ain't no church in there. What are you talking about? And then they go through the double doors and eventually they find a church, right? And so I remember the first time I went to the city planner, we had just, you know, we weren't a church that long. We were, uh, um, didn't have hardly any money at all, right? And the city planner, we went to the city planner of Almani, he said, no. He said, you guys cannot be there. He said, do not even bother applying, Right? And so this is the guy who's in charge. This is the guy who, you know, whatever is going to make the decision. But um, I went back, I talked to the Lord, and the Lord said, I don't care what he says. I want you to file anyways. I said, but Lord, it's $1,700. We don't have hardly anything here, Lord. This is so expensive. You know, you got to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, or your money where your faith is. And so, you know, the Lord just said, do it. And I praise God that when they did eventually have the, 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 the meeting where everybody had to vote, it was unanimous to allow us, unanimously, yay, you know, for us to come in here. And so all I'm saying is that, you know, the Lord shows you things that might be contrary to what other people are saying, but, you know, because you have a personal relationship with him, you may make an investment, you take steps of faith. And this is how God leads us in our life. And so here, Jeremiah had this uh, amazing uh, thing go on. He buys the land where to anyone else, it wouldn't make any sense. But to him, it did. But still he prays. Look, it says in verse 16. Now, when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Now, I love that. I love that. Let me ask you guys a question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. Is there anyone too hard for the Lord? Who is that person that you're having doubt about. Like, I don't think they're ever going to get saved. I don't think they're ever going to get on fire. Oh, I just, you know. And God is saying, stop it. Stop it. You need to have faith because there is nothing 
too hard for the Lord. Now, Jeremiah, he's praying this. Now, it's interesting when you're like, well, why is he praying this? Because I believe that when we pray, look what it says, ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, your outstretched arm. If you can believe that, do you believe that? Do you believe that God made the heavens and the earth? You do, right? We believe that God made it by the power of his word. And so if you believe that, then you believe he can do anything. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight because I, I, I don't know if, if you can identify those things in your life, those people in your life that you've already categorized as too hard for the Lord. And what God, I think, wants to do through his word is remind us, maybe even rebuke us or, or correct us. Or, you know, it's not too hard for the Lord. You need to have faith. Your faith will make a difference. I'm not saying that this you know, made God do what God did, but it definitely made Jeremiah do what he did. And your faith is important. You know, When the Lord went to his hometown, the Bible says that he marveled at their unbelief and he could do no mighty works there because they didn't believe. The Syrophoenician woman, when she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, my daughter, she's got a demon. Can you heal her? And Jesus was like, get away, you know, like I'm here for, for, the, for the Jews and, and not the, the, the Gentiles. And it almost seemed like Jesus was dismissing her, like Jesus wasn't paying attention to her, like she was insignificant to him. But the, the lady, she just would not stop praying. And at the end, she said, yes, Lord, but even the, the dogs, they get the little crumbs from the table. God, all I need are the crumbs from your table. And my demon-possessed daughter will be set free because nothing is too hard for you, right? And so we need to come to the Lord like that, and we need to pray, and we need to believe. I think that it makes a huge difference. And, you know, the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years, 12 years, think about it. She had spent all her money. She could not get better. She knew, she knew in her heart, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, just those tassels there on his garment, that I know I'll be healed. And so when Jesus was touched by her, he stopped and he said, wait a minute, who touched me? And Peter's like, what are you talking about, Lord? Everybody's thronging you. Who touched me? He said, no, somebody touched me in a way in which I felt power come out of me. And the woman was right there. I did, Lord. She explained her situation. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And, you know, and that's when we're looking at this and Jeremiah is praying this prayer and I pray that we would pray this way. The early church prayed this way. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, in verse 23 and 24, it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know, they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they said, okay, we're going to pray. And they knew who they were praying to. They're praying to the maker and maintainer of the universe. They knew who they were praying to. And they said, grant to your servants that with boldness we may speak your word. And sure enough, they did. And God protected them and God did a work. So we have to know who we're praying to. This is who Jeremiah, he opens up his prayer that way. And then he says in, in Jeremiah 32, verse 18, 
you, you show, and I, I love the way he just knows the Lord. He knows who the God of the Bible is. You show loving kindness to thousands. How many of you here know that God is a God of love? You guys know that, right? Okay. But is he just love? No. Some people are out there, oh, God's a God of love. You know, we love each other. I'm sure that the gay relationship is okay. And God is just saying, well, I do love you, but that doesn't mean that I won't, I won't judge sin. Because look what he says right here. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. In other words, God, you're, you're loving, you're gracious. But if I don't get right, you will deal with me. See, we have to know the God of the Bible. We can't make him up. Oh, he's, he would never you know, judge. Or he would ne- No, he does. He loves us with a love that I can't even begin to describe. The love that he has for you. Before you ever flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. You know, he loves you like the Amazon River, you know, watering a daisy. He loves you as if you were the only one to love. Think about that. He can't take his eyes off you. That's how much he loves you. But, you know, when it comes to sin, he will deal with me. And the crazy thing is, we never sin to ourselves. Our kids, our kids are the ones, they also feel it. That's what he says right there. Verse 19, you are great in counsel, mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. How many of you here know that God sees you all the time? You guys know that, right? Is there anywhere you can hide from him? You know, does he know your thoughts? That's scary, huh? This is what he says. He says, you're all naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This makes me really just say, hey, I got to be pure. I'm scrolling on my phone and whatever, the girl with the cleavage comes up. I probably shouldn't even be on that news thing. But I mean, I'm not going to take a double look at that. Why? Because God sees and I don't want to sin. God sees everything. It says right here, um, verse... 20, you have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other men. And you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Right how the Lord brought them out of Egypt and bless them there with that land. But it says in verse 23, and they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounts, they have come to this city to take it. The city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it. Because of the sword and famine and pestilence, what you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah, he he needs a little bit more clarity. And so he prays his prayer. And, And then look what happens in verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, 
Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And this time he asks, is there anything too hard for me? And of course we know the answer is no. That there is nothing too hard for God. You know, I I pray that we would have that understanding in our heart. This is therefore in verse 28, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and burn and set fire to this city, burn it with houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests even, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned to me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction, but they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it, and they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my hand, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And so it's kind of interesting looking at this section right here. You know, the Lord is saying, I'm going to judge the land because of the things that they've done. You know, I blessed them with this land of milk and honey, brought them out of Egypt. I kept them in the wilderness. And then here they go into this land and, you know, on the on the rooftops, you know, you go to Cambodia, I'm sure other places, you know, they hang out on the roof. Now, we don't do that here. But, you know, their roofs were flat. And so they would have their, you know, barbecues up there. And they would have, you know, they would pray to, to their gods up there. And and Jeremiah, and it always gets this way. Let me just say two things, you guys, where you can tell uh, that a nation is dying. So any of you guys ever have fish? Fish, I mean, not not eat fish. I shouldn't say it that way. You ever have a fish tank with fish? Any of you, who had fish tank with fish? Okay, did you ever, has, did your fish ever die? They they do a lot. Okay, <laughs> you can kind of tell when he's on his last stages, you know, because usually he doesn't want to eat, and then eventually he's kind of floating up at the top like that, right? I mean, there's just certain things that you can tell. Oh, well, that that fish is about to die. There's a couple of things when it comes to a nation when you can tell it's towards the end: blatant homosexuality and abortion. And that's what we see today. Unless there's some kind of great turnaround, you guys, we are looking at the judgment of the uh, United States of America. You know, even in the world, I think it's ripe. And again, you guys, who knows? Maybe it'll be another hundred years. So you young adults, you still got to get a job, okay? 
<laughs> so we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. But at the end of the day, um, when you know abortion started being practiced, and one of the interesting things is that if you go to this, this location, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, there's not a lot of archaeological evidence that they sacrificed their children, but there's some. So there, there's some. There, there were definitely babies that were sacrificed to Molech there in the valley. And so there's some archaeological evidence. But most people will say there probably wasn't a whole lot of that going on. And we don't know for sure because over time things can happen, right? But, but what's crazy because today there are a lot of babies being sacrificed. You know, the interesting thing to me, I was reading on this, so even in United States of America, 1973, uh, abortion was legalized. And since then, from what I understand, 73 million babies, think about that, um, all around the world are, are abortion. Every year in the world, there are 73 million induced abortions. So 73, 1973, it got legalized, and, uh, and every year now there's 73 million children that are killed. It's crazy when you think about this. In the world, 200,000 abortions every single day. In the United States of America, it's kind of interesting. There's probably about 2,000 abortions every day. So nearly 20% of all pregnancies in our nation, I mean, sorry, yeah, nearly 20% of all pregnancies in the United States with the exception of miscarriages and an abortion. So one out of every five. Think about that. And, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know. Usually it's probably you're not married. Usually, you know, you're with somebody. And that right there is, you know, you shouldn't have been doing that anyways. But then if God blesses a girl with a, with a baby, I mean, that's life. That's life. You don't need to kill that baby. And sometimes they do it at the altar of sacrifice. Now they even have a pill. Think about it. A pill you can take. And this is uh, going to be a fight all the way to the Supreme Court. But as God, see, as God sees us doing this, and here we read about the babies that were sacrificed. I mean, we're so bad, we even sell body parts. Do you see, by reading the scriptures, that judgment is on its way? So what do you do? What do you do if you kind of know, hey, Lord, again, no man knows the day or the hour, but it sure seems like we're doing the things that show the last stages of a nation, what do you do? You know, one thing I would encourage you to do is have an urgency, more of an urgency in your heart to serve the Lord. If there's anybody uh, here that is not like on fire for God, um, come up here in the front after service and we're going to light you with a match. <laughs> we're going to say you need, because remember Jesus said, hey, there comes, I mean, John the Baptist said, there comes one after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to, 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 to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So if you're not on fire for the Lord, you know, then something's wrong. Don't leave today, you know, you know quenched. You know, let's be on fire urgency for God, if there's people that the Lord is calling you to um, minister to or someone he's calling you to reach out to, you know, don't, don't, don't wait because we see the signs of the times. Uh, that was then and we're going to see it even today. But God is not done with Israel. That, that's the crazy thing. Look at verse 36. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon 
by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. He says in verse 37, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, where I have driven them away in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them, this is so beautiful, one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. Their children after them. I think it's so beautiful. You know, God does this personally for for us, but here we see he's doing it nationally for Israel. Israel's back in the land today. You guys remember in 1948, they became a nation. 1967, they regained control of Jerusalem, but they're not serving the Lord yet. 25% of them are atheists. Think about that. And then you have, you know, just a small percentage that are Christian. So this is in reference to the future, that one day they will serve the Lord. But I love the way it's described right there. I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will give them one heart and one way. I love that. That's Jesus. That's John 14, 6, right? He's the one way that they may fear me. Because I think that what's lacking in the church today is a healthy fear of God. And yet the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of God. You know, not one where you think, you know, he's a mean father, you know, ready to discipline you the moment you get out of line. But, you know, one that, that loves you. You know, one that you would reverence, one that, yeah, if you continue in sin, you know, he'll deal with you. And there's a healthy fear there. This is what God would do with Israel. And look at verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them. Isn't that cool? to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart, I love this, and all my soul. Now, you don't see that very frequently in the Bible. God usually tells us, hey, you got to love with all your heart, with all your soul. Right here, God says, I'm doing this with all my heart, with all my soul. So we talked about this, just in case you run into someone that said, God's done with Israel. Oh, no, he's not. And if you ever hear the lie that says God's done with you, No, he's not. No, he's not. As a matter of fact, that's why you're here today, because God wanted you to hear that message. God still has something glorious for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've done. If you just yield yourself in simplicity to God, man, the sky's the limit. I'm telling you, man. Look what it says in verse 42. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people... So I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. And fields will be brought in this land of which you say it is desolate, without man or beast. It has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, the Anathoth was in Benjamin, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. And so it's so cool. You can go to Israel today and you can see the Bible come true. 
But if you can't afford it, then one day, don't worry, we're going to go there. We're going to be there in, in Israel. We're going to see King Jesus sitting on the throne. Um, how many of you guys think you'll be excited when that happens, man? We're going to be there. This is what he's talking about, you know, that future that we have. So remember the prophetic calendar. We don't know which first comes first, whether it's the Russian invasion of Israel. Russia with Iran, they will invade Israel. That might be the next thing. Um, or the rapture. So those are two, two things that are next. And the rapture can happen at any moment. So that's when God takes us up. Then after that, there's a seven-year tribulation, right? And then the last three and a half years is called Jacob's Trouble, where God, you know, 144,000 Jews are, pro, are, are preaching like Paul the Apostle, but God is judging the world. I mean, the large majority of the world will die in judgment, but some will survive. Then they enter into the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and King Jesus will rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then after that, because Satan's in the, you know, the abyss for a thousand years, he's chained there. He gets loosed one more time. He tests the world. They rebel against God. And then the Father, he judges the world. And then Revelation 20 is the great white throne judgment. And then after that, new heaven, new earth, no more sin, no more Satan, no more sickness, no more suffering. So this is what we have. But I'm telling you guys, the rapture, it can happen at any moment. So be ready. I look out at you guys and I think these people are ready. There's a couple of you I'm still wondering about, but I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I even, I even want to tell myself, hey, Manny, you know, in the movies, the pastor always gets left behind. You know that, right? <laughs> so you better make sure you're ready for his return. So verse 1 of 33, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. I love this. He says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so... The, the, the great and mighty things, which is interesting. In other versions, it says the unsearchable things. The, the word is something that is made inaccessible by fortifying it or enclosing it. And what God says right here is, you know, just call to him. And what we're talking about primarily, I think, is, is prayer. You know, pray. Pray to God and he will show you these, other, these unsearchable things that you would otherwise never have known. And I think, like I said, two things. Number one, there's going to be a revelation. And then number two, there's going to be a salvation. So it's all dependent, though, on whether or not you will call upon the Lord. You know, I remember when the church was kind of fairly new and uh, someone had told me, you know, that Pastor Rawl wants you to call him. And I didn't want to make that phone call. I kind of felt a little funny because he's so busy, you know, and... But uh, I, I, I remember I, I called him and that, he, you know, I was really surprised that he answered, you know, went through the secretary, he ended up answering. And God, you know, just really uh, restored, you know, a relationship that we had had for many years. And, you know, sometimes we just don't want to make that call. I don't know why, for some reason. And I will say this, that prayer is hard to do. 
because of the fact that it's the one thing the enemy doesn't want you to do. Now, some of you guys, you have gotten victory in that area. You just know and you're there and you're faithful. But I would probably say for most people, they don't pray the way they should. They don't pray as much. You know, and I'm not talking about just when you eat your tacos. And I'm not talking about when you're falling asleep. I'm talking about passionate, you know, heartfelt, you know, prayer to God. You know, we have to call to him. Make that phone call, so to speak. He will answer. And two things, I will show you great and mighty things. So there's going to be a revelation. And I also believe that there's going to be salvation. It's interesting, if you go back to Jeremiah 29, we talked a little bit about this. Jeremiah 29, look at verse 11. Everybody knows verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, right? Beautiful verse. God says, I'm thinking about you. God says, I have plans for you. But look what it says in verse 11. It says, um, verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And what he's saying right here in Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He's saying, he's just opening it up. I want you to know this, that if you pray, there will be revelation like never before and there will be salvation that you would have never had otherwise. So that's why we have to call to him. This is why we have our prayer meetings before church service because the Lord is saying, hey, uh, you, I want to move more, but in order to move more, I got to move people to pray more. I really believe that. And so uh, some verses. I love Psalm 91, uh, verse 15. You guys know that verse, right? He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And so when you're in trouble, call upon the Lord and he will be there, show up, deliver you, even honor you. Look at the next verse. It also mentions the fact, this is in Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. And what that kind of means is that sometimes it's too late. Don't wait anymore, you know, to get right in your prayer life. You know, I, I like what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, my dear friends, wait upon God much in prayer and you have the promise that he will do greater things for you than you know of. And so Jeremiah 33 in verse 4, he says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword, they come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury. All for those whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And so God would, yeah, judge them. Verse 5 even says, why bother fighting? Because there's just going to be a bunch of dead men's bodies. But God says, I will heal you as a nation. Verse 7, and I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and rebuild those places as at the first. 
I love this. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be a name of joy, a praise, and an honor, notice, before all nations of the earth. Remember I told you guys, restoration to the land, restoration to the Lord, and restoration to the lead. Now the whole world is going to be like, yep, there's something special about Israel. And so it says right there, who shall hear all the good that I do to them, they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures for how long? Forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. Do you guys remember how much of a ghost town it was during COVID? You know, you go to, there's no one there. And it was a bummer, man. Well, imagine Israel being leveled by the Lord. You know, there's no marriages going on. There's no joy. There's no celebration. But God says, I'm going to restore all that back. And I can't help but think maybe there's someone here. You don't have that joy. You don't have that in your life. And God is saying, I'm going to do a work in you. And you watch, not just happiness based on circumstances, but a joy because you're in the will of God. God is going to do this. God is going to restore. God is going to forgive. God is so good. These right here, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. Those are reminiscent of Psalms, especially Psalm 136 or Psalm 100, Psalm 106. All those Psalms mention this type of wording. Verse 12, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds, causing their flocks to lie down. Remember what the psalmist uh, said in Psalm 23? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The only way you can make a sheep lie down is if he feels peace. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that for you too. Maybe there's someone here today, you don't have peace. Let Jesus be your shepherd, man, completely. And you watch how he gives you peace. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to restore. It says right there in verse 13, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. And so every single one, every single one, God's going to tend to, so it says in verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And in those days and at that time, this is so beautiful, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He, who do you think that's speaking of? Jesus. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Just curious. Any of you guys looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ is king on planet Earth? 
Imagine that. Do you, do you, to me, I'm like, man, I wonder if the church, like if they, 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 they think about Jesus nailed to a cross, even though he was a God in the flesh, the suffering that he went through, the teachings, you know, the miracles, just his glory, his greatness, you know, King Jesus, imagine that. Before the, the crown, there was a cross. I, I mean, I, I, there's that song I can only imagine. What will you do when you see Jesus? This branch, it was spoken of in Jeremiah chapter 23, you know, the meaning that he came out of the shoot of, of David. So he was, a, he was a, you know, a, the root of David, but he was also the fruit of David, the ancestor. You know, he, he will rule. And this is so beautiful to see right here. In those days, verse 16, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. And you guys know that's a compound name of God. It means, uh, or Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, to Sid Canoe. And I can't believe I'm running out of time here. Let me give you guys a couple of verses to write down. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21, and Romans 1, 16 through 17. There's others. For those of you guys who are fast writers, Philippians 3, 2 through 9. And I wanted to spend more time on that. But the Lord, our righteousness, uh, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And what that means is that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the imputed righteousness of Christ to your account so that he sees you and you're right in his sight. You're justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. He is our righteousness. You will never be good enough. But when you place your faith in him, he covers us with his righteousness. For thus says the Lord, verse 17, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually, this doesn't mean that there would always be a king. There would always be a priest doing those things. It just means that the descendants of the king or the descendants of the priest, there would always be someone in that lineage. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. In other words, he's talking about right here the permanence of this covenant. This is the new covenant. It says in verse 23, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, have you not considered what these people have spoken? People were saying the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off, speaking of Israel and Judah. Thus they have despised my people, as if they should no more be a nation before them. God is saying, oh no, thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with the day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, 
then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. And so God says, hey, I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to deal with them. But they're going to return. Even though it seemed impossible, we have to make sure that we are a people of faith who believe nothing is impossible with God. Let me close with, with a real quick story I read. It was kind of interesting. I've been talking to my son a lot about math. Any of you guys like math? I'm curious. Marie likes math. Mike. Man, I trip out on people who like math. I'm like, man, they love it. Some people are really good about it. And so my son, he'll get, he'll start asking me, not asking me questions. He'll start talking to me about it, man. And I'm trying so hard to follow him and I can't. And part of me wants to say, Aaron, please leave me alone. There's a part, there's a part of me wants to say that, but I realize I can't say that because he's my son. So I just listen. Anyways, there's some people who are really good at math. And the reason why this story caught me is because it reminded me of some of the things he told me. It says in 1939, George Dantzig enrolled as a graduate student studying statistics under Professor Jersey Naiman. At the beginning of one class session, Dr. Naiman wrote two examples on the chalkboard of famous unsolvable problems. George happened to arrive late to the class, and he mistakenly thought that the unsolvable problems were their homework. And so he wrote them in his notebook, and he went to work. He eventually solved those problems. Six weeks later, an ecstatic Dr. Nairin knocked on George's door to share the news. He solved these unsolvable problems. A bewildered George actually apologized, thinking the assignment was just overdue. But he said, no, you have done something that we have never been able to do. And so over the ensuing years, this guy went on to you know, serve, I mean, in you know, the Air Force. He got his doctorate. He worked as a mathematical advisor to the Defense Department, you know, his faculty at Stanford University, just a whole bunch of stuff, distinguished career, Medal of Science in 1975. He developed, um, you know, he helped airlines schedule their fleets, shipping companies deploy their trucks, oil companies run their refineries, business managers, their, their revenue projections. I mean, just so many things through this guy, and it all happened. You want to know how it happened? Because when he went into class that day, he thought to himself, this can be done, rather than thinking, this can't be done. And that changes everything. If you go into it thinking it's too hard for the Lord, it can't be done. If that's your mentality, then guess what? It probably won't be done. But if you go into it thinking, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. No one is too hard for the Lord. Even me. God can change me. Even though, like Henry said, I'm young. I mean, I'm old. I mean, he can still change me. You name it. Nothing is too hard. That, that's how we have to live our life again, you guys.